Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. So why don't you stand and let's welcome Joel Kettle for the first time preaching at Avant Life Church. Okay. Hello, everyone. You can take your seats. Thanks. You guys are great. Thank you for uh, the warm welcome. Um, I mean it when I say this, but you guys are my family. Uh, And I say that with the wholeness of my heart. Avant Life Church has not always been in my life. We haven't even celebrated two years of services yet. And what I'm trying to say is that what God has done here, it defies the logic of time. How do I feel when I talk to someone for the first time like I've known them for years? What God is doing here is phenomenal. He is bringing people together to build his church, to have a family. And this is what this morning is about, right? Culture. This is how we do life together as a church. And, and I'm very excited to share with you this morning on Remain Hopeful. Um, if you are new, let me just give you a recap and sort of bring you up to speed with where we are, okay? So week one, Pastor Ben shared on Remaining Helpful. It was a very helpful sermon. Um, we should be helpful people, right? Last week, Pastor Emma shared on remaining humble. And what we've arrived at, everything up until this point, has brought us to this statement. There is a synergy, a, a, a catalyst, a, a catalyst that happens between humility and helpfulness, in which the product is a life dedicated to others. A life dedicated to others. If I remain helpful and I remain humble, then my whole mission in life is to help others through humility. That's where we've arrived, right? And now what we're going to do, sort of like we're cooking up something in the kitchen, we're about to sprinkle in a different dynamic, and that is hope. Remain hopeful. Sounds good? Fantastic. All right. Um, If you're looking for... um, I don't know, answers, I'm going to try and give them to you, Um, but they're not really mine to give. But what I will do is share a story with you. Uh, This is quite possibly the most influential moment in my life. Don't laugh. (laughs) About to open my heart up to everyone, you're busy laughing at me. All right. I want you to picture this. I'm, I'm literally in the middle of the outback of Australia. I'm in this huge open field. And I'm actually on my knees. And I'm in this moment of reflection with God. Like, the goodness of God. God, how, how did I get here? How are you like this, God? What I um, maybe didn't tell you guys is, is I'm on my knees, my arms are out like this, and there's actually something attached to my arm. Um... So I'm on my knees, I'm in a field, and I am shoulder deep inside of a sheep. (laughs) This, uh, it was lambing season, right? I'd signed up to be a shepherd for a few days, thought it was quite biblical. I was like, all right, I'll be a shepherd for a little bit. And uh, 
Anyway, this lamb, I needed to try and pull it out. And so I was all the way trying to pull this thing out. Anyway, I'm on my knees. I'm in this field. It's beautiful. It's very holy. It's a lot of biblical analogies that you can draw. And all of a sudden, this sheep just farts all over my face. And it's like sheep innards and poo and it's everything. Everything that's inside a sheep just all over my face. Anyway, what I'm trying to say, right, let me bring this back in, you shouldn't jump into things blindly, right? We want to know what we're signing up for before we sign up for it. So if I need to remain something, I want to know what it is I'm supposed to be remaining before I remain it, right? Okay, fantastic. For my note takers this morning, this is part one. It's called the building blocks of hope. The building blocks of hope. All right, so what is hope? Very simple. Here's your sentence. Hope is a positive vision for the future. Hope is a positive vision for the future. In other words, I should be able to build some sort of framework or perceived reality. I should be able to project what my life will be like in the future. I I base this whole image, right, this vision, it's based on two things. Number one, it's my understanding of who God is, but also my understanding of who I am to Him. In other words, right, and it follows, if I have an incorrect view of who God is, and I have an incorrect view of who I am in Him, then my picture, my vision for the future will be incorrect, because it's false hope. So let me play this out, right? If I see God as a tyrant, and I see myself as a slave, my vision for the future is one filled with him bossing me around, doing stuff I don't want to do, I'm unsatisfied, I'm unfulfilled, I'm quite angry and aggressive, because that's really nothing to look forward to. It's, there's no hope, right? So that's what hope is. It's a positive vision for the future, and it's based on my understanding of who God is and who I am to him. There we go. We could probably go home, but we won't because i got some more stuff in here that i got to share with you guys. So building blocks of hope, that's part one. Who's ready for part two? You with me? Okay, part two for my note takers. Really holy title. Part two, scripture. We're just going to read some scripture. That's what we're going to do right now. Okay, scripture. I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. I'll be reading from chapter one, verse four. The word of the Lord came to me, that's as in Jeremiah saying this, right? The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's as in God knew him. Before he was, uh, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Okay, so this is what God's saying to Jeremiah. During the first encounter Jeremiah has with God, what is he doing? He's telling Jeremiah, this is who I am, and this is who you are in me. This is your identity. God is clarifying some things for Jeremiah. That's pretty good. It's very helpful, God. Thank you for clarifying that. But let's read how Jeremiah responds. Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. He goes on to say some stuff. All right, let's look at this, all right? I just want to break this down. God says to Jeremiah, this is who I am. This is who you are. Jeremiah says, yes, you're sovereign, Lord, 
I have an idea of who you are, but also you're wrong. I'm too young. I can't speak. In other words, hey, God, maybe you did the math wrong. You didn't run the the projection or the systems properly. Maybe you forgot that I'm actually too young and I can't speak. So God spends, right, his next few moments with Jeremiah clarifying who God is and who Jeremiah is to God. Because God sees what is brewing inside of Jeremiah. It's insecurity. He's not seeing himself correctly, but it's actually broken hope because he's not even seeing God correctly because God can't be wrong, right? And so God says, Jeremiah, you don't understand. There's something inside of you that is broken. There's something that is hurt. And if I let this play out over the period of time that you're going to be here on this world, you're going to be in a lot of pain, We need to fix this now while I've got you. You need to know that I have your back. You need to know that you shouldn't be afraid. You need to know that I'll rescue you if it comes to that. And God imparts, he deposits this understanding of who God is and who Jeremiah is to God into Jeremiah so that he has the strength, not just of character, but of vision, of hope for the future. Jeremiah knows what to look forward to now, right? Okay, fantastic. That's great. Let's move on to the next part. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. And before we uh, go any further, I'm going to add in one more dynamic. And that's this. God hates unaddressed wounds. Maybe I'll rephrase that. God hates mistreated wounds. Because if you've lived life long enough, you know that there is a type of hurt that hits you deep inside. Like it's not even the initial thing that happened that actually hurt me. It's not the cut that happened in the first instance. It's the infection that set in afterwards. It didn't get treated properly. Now it's become a problem in my life. I can remember getting a phone call two weeks after we arrived in Vancouver to start Avant Life Church. I've been here for two weeks. I'm like, sick God, we're going to start a church. It's going to be a lot of fun. And two weeks into me thinking that I'm doing what God wants me to do with my life, I get a phone call from my parents and we've just found out that mum's been diagnosed with breast cancer. You got to make sure you have a strong hope right? If you're going to make it through a journey like that. Let's be real about this, okay? Hope is not mythological, okay? It's not some sort of theoretical thought experiment. It's tangible. It's applicable. It's available to us this morning. I'm telling you this because I've seen it in my life. If you have a right understanding of who God is and you know who you are in Him, you know what to look forward to. You've got your framework, right? So let's read. We're going to fast forward uh, 40 years into the future. Jeremiah is a spiritual leader of Israel. um, And what's happened is the Babylonians have come to invade. They've surrounded the capital city of Jerusalem. And King Zedekiah of the Israelites, he has this whole gang of prophets and priests and these dudes in power. And they're busy telling everyone in the city, hey, 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 it's all good. God will fight for us. He will will rescue us. It's all going to be okay. 
Meanwhile, Jeremiah is saying, no, this is actually what God wants. You need to surrender and submit to the Babylonians. Stop giving people false hope. That's not where God's directing them in their life. So we'll read about it. We'll pick up the story in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. God is saying through Jeremiah, hey, there's unaddressed issues here. You need to come to me so that I can heal them. Actually, the problem isn't even the Babylonians. The problem is that you want to write your narrative for your life. You want to live, the life, uh, live life the way you want to live. That's what King Zedekiah and the prophets and the priests are doing, right? They don't want to follow what God's direction is for their life. They want to be the masters and commanders of their own narrative. So they're refusing to turn to God. Meanwhile, they're actually telling people that that's what God's plan is. It's an unaddressed wound. It's been mistreated. It's leading to infection. It's not good, just be honest. And Jeremiah actually spends his, his entire life with this message. Turn to God. Let him heal you. Only God can heal you. None of this false, cheap, band-aid-style hope that these leaders are selling you is actually going to help. What is, um, Taylor Swift says it. What a prophet and a scholar. She says it. Band-aids don't fix bullet holes. <laughs> Who knew that Taylor Swift was a scholar in Jeremiah? This is impressive, Taylor. Come on. But you know what I mean, right? But we, that's a really nice saying, but here's the, here's the practical like, application of that. They're putting Band-Aids on bullet holes. It's infected. Something's not right here. And God does not want us to remain hurt. He actually wants us to remain hopeful. That's God's plan for our life, right? And we read about it. Jeremiah says in chapter 29, verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future and not to harm you. God says that. That's his plans for our life. I'll hit you with another one for my note takers. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. This is huge. If you, if you haven't heard this verse before, your entire outlook, your framework of the future, of reality, is about to be shaken completely, knocked down and rebuilt. Catch this. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Let me break that down. The totality of promises in this book, everything God has promised you, he's already said yes to through Jesus. That's the catch. You actually have to go to him. Are you serious? That's my hope. Everything that God promises in here, he said yes to already. I'm telling you, Paul says it here in Corinthians, right? We need to see ourselves correctly. We need to see God correctly, because otherwise this is what happens, right? The alternative is we go through all of this pain, all of this suffering, 
and never see God's promises fulfilled because we never went to him. We constantly charged forward with our own narrative. We jumped in blindly, ended up with sheep innards all over my face. It's not fun. (laughs) All right, Mark chapter 10. You guys still with me? Yep. For my note takers, it's, it's Mark 10, verse 47. Mark 10, 47. Uh, here's what's really, really interesting about what we're going to go through. Here is a guy who has hope in God. Just remember, though, he's blind. And if hope in God is seeing God correctly and seeing ourselves correctly in him, that means we are about to learn how to see from a blind man. A blind guy is about to teach us how to see properly. All right, let's dive in. Mark 10, 47. Oh, that's not Mark. Here we go. Verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. All right, let me fill in a little bit of context for you guys. Here's this blind guy. Obviously, he's blind, sitting on the side of the road. Jesus and his disciples are walking past. As they approach, people start saying, hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth. So here's Bartimaeus, right? He's hearing all this stuff from Nazareth, from Nazareth, from Nazareth, from Nazareth. But that's not what comes out. Jesus of Nazareth is what comes in. That's the information that comes into his head. But what comes out is son of David, Okay, I'll rewind a second. From Nazareth, son of David. From Nazareth, son of David. Have you caught it yet? From Nazareth, son of David. In other words, right, Bartimaeus, like Jeremiah, has a transformed understanding of who God is. He's not some random dude. He's the son of David. He's the promised Messiah. He's the rescuer. He's the redeemer. He's the healer. And because I know who he is, I know what he can do. I can get my sight restored. Who would have thought, man? Blind guy teach me how to see properly. What is going on with the world right now, man? It's crazy times, I'm telling you. There's a lot of stuff going on. Everyone else dilutes Jesus' character. But Bartimaeus sees God for who he really is. And this church is the power of clarity in relationship. This is the power of hope. When I know who God is, it doesn't matter what people say to me. It doesn't even matter what I can see. Because I know who he is. I know he loves me. I know what he can do in my future. Correct hope. All right. Note takers, are you ready? This is part three for you, okay? Hope, faith, action. You want to say it with me? Hope, faith, action. Wow, that's a lot of really fun words. And let me tell you, they're they're a lot more than just fun words, all right? Hope, faith, action. I'm going to read two scriptures for you guys. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Let's lock that one away. 
James 2 verse 26, like a body without a spirit, faith without works, action is dead. That's part two. Here's the connection point, the power of hope. Bartimaeus hoped he would be healed. He had hope that he'd be healed based on who God is and who he was to God. Bartimaeus is then filled with faith. He believes that God can do it. And what does it cause him to do? Call out to Jesus. Okay, Ben touched on this week one of culture, the Culture is Key series, okay? Principles are only ever theoretical until put into practice. Okay, so faith is only ever theoretical until I put it into practice. But we just read that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, so my hope is theoretical until I put it into practice, right? But if my hope is theoretical until I put it into practice, that means, and I want you to catch this, that my understanding of who God is and my understanding of who I am to Him is only ever theoretical until I put it into practice. Hope is action. You can't miss the boat, right? We just read about it. Faith without works is dead. Like a dead body, there is no actions. So no action indicates unhealthy body. It indicates death, right? So could the same be said? Unhealthy action, unhealthy faith, unhealthy hope. Maybe something's broken. Maybe nothing's happening in my life because I don't believe that it could. But maybe I don't believe that it could because I don't have the hope that it ever would. Maybe I don't have the hope that it ever would because I don't see God correctly and I don't see me correctly in Him. This is a scary reality, church. All right. I know I got a little bit intense there. Apologize. And we're in church, got to be behaved. So let me wind it back a little bit for you guys. It takes a do to get something done. Far too many people in this world know better. They just don't do better. I want to be someone who does something. Not just theory, right? Not just the mythology of a hopeful life. I want to be someone, when people get around me, it's infectious. They have hope too. So I'm going to read a verse out and I warn you, maybe it will offend some people. It shouldn't, but because you're a great person. God loves you. I love you because God loves you. So I don't mean this as anything mean. I just, I mean, all right, James said it. I didn't say it. So I'll just tell you what James said. (laughs) I think about what that sounds like and I'm like, oh, geez, could be really interesting. Okay. James 2, verse 14 to 17. James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Some translations will say has no action. Suppose, oh, can such a faith save them, sorry. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, I love this, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Peace, peace. You're going to be great. But does nothing about 
their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Church, one of the most frustrating things when you are going through something is when someone says, oh, I hope you feel better. I hope it gets better. Oh, I hope your mum, you know, makes it through. Like, yeah, I hope that goes well. Can we be honest for a second? It's empty words. What does that do for me? Nothing. I need someone to come alongside me and go, hey, can I pray with you? Can I maybe like find out, send your mum an encouraging text? Can I tell you some of the most incredible encouragement that came during that time was people messaging in, just letting us know that they were praying for us. Like hope is not theoretical. It's not. It's not a myth. It's not a thought experiment. Hope is not a philosophy. It's practical. Like it literally is accessible and attainable for us today. You can give hope to people, but only if you have healthy actions, healthy faith, healthy hope. Otherwise, you've got none to give. All right. Sorry, I told you guys I was going to dial it back. Bring it back again. A little bit too excited. Okay. For my note takers, part four. How to remain hopeful. How to remain hopeful. You ready to just debunk the mythology? I'm going to give you the keys right now. Okay, number one, and I'll just recap quickly. I have to see God and myself correctly. This is the first domino to fall. Everything else comes from this. In the book of Joel, not this Joel, Bible Joel, chapter 2, verse 13, he says this. He says, rend your hearts, not your garments, to God. In other words, right, you have to have a relationship with God. You can't just give what, what looks like hope. You can't just have what makes it look like you're a Christian. It actually requires a relationship with the God that created you, right? Okay, so when I understand correctly who God is and who I am, my hope is right. My vision for the future is right. When my hope is right, my faith is right, and all of this is shown in my actions, especially how I treat people and treat my relationship with God. All right, so two verses, and these are just little teasers, okay? If you, if you want to actually, like, get into this a little bit more, this is for you. Romans 8, verse 25 to 28. Might pique a little bit of an interest for some of you who've been in church for a while. That's the one where it talks about God working all things for the good of those who love Him. If you want to learn how to see God correctly, just give Romans 8 a cheeky little read. Second one, from Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 to 11. And I wish we had time to go through that, but we don't this morning. So that's on you. A little homework test for you guys. All right. We need to shift gears slightly. So number one, I need to see God and see myself correctly. Number two, on how to remain hopeful, I need to overcome time. There are... There are a few things in life that can bleed your hope like time can. Have you ever had to walk through something for so long you just feel like you're losing hope? I can remember when I was in high school, we went on a, on a trip to visit some family and we came back 
and I, I caught some bug. I, I st we still don't even know what it was. We went to doctors, went to the whole thing, took medication, couldn't figure out what it was. But every day, every moment of every day, I felt nauseous, like I was going to throw up. Like I can remember walking into the classroom, every single class, and I would have to sit at the closest desk from where the bin was because I felt like I was just going to go. Actually, getting a little bit weird, I used to have a compartment in my bag reserved for like emergency, like puke place. <laughs> but we laugh, right? I had this for two years, every morning, and no one could help me. We even went to the doctors. No one could help me. And can I just tell you, like, praise God I got healed, but let me tell you where it happened. I was standing in a worship service. Nobody prayed for me. No one preached to me. No one laid hands on me. Nothing happened except me singing a song about who God was. And I said to God, God, if you're like this, I want you. Please, God. And I promise you, church, it was like someone lifted chains off of my body instantly. It was two years I walked through this. I know what it's like to have time attack your hope. John 10.10 10 says this, For the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to give you life and life to the full. Dr. Darius Daniels puts it this way, that is not three ways of saying the same thing three times. That's three different strategies. Steal, kill, and destroy. What does that mean, Joel? That means I risk misidentifying the result of a season I've come through, and I'm busy celebrating, saying, man, I'm so glad I made that out alive. I'm so glad I survived. Meanwhile, the devil's also celebrating because he stole my dreams yeah. or he hurt my hope. And I'm busy celebrating, man, I'm so glad I made it through that, but I haven't taken account of what I've lost. How many times have we gone through something and we've left with an infection because we didn't deal with a wound properly when we were going through it? There's nothing like time that can drain your hope. I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 18, if you're taking notes. Genesis 18. It's when three messengers from God visit a couple named Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah, all they have wanted for their entire life is to have a child. These messengers come and visit them, and they tell them, by this time next year, you'll have a child. Messengers from God, they tell Abraham, by this time next year, your wife will have a child. They're in their 90s. Abraham and Sarah are not at the age they should be having kids. And this is the thing about hurt hope, okay? Hurt hope does not reveal itself in bruises and cuts, right? Hurt hope is inside. I can't, I can't look at someone's broken arm and go, yeah, your soul's been hurt. It's different. It's a different kind of hurt. And it comes out, it reveals itself through our character. And this is how Sarah reacts, right? Three, three messengers from God just tell Abraham, hey, you guys are going to have a kid. And Sarah laughs. She says, that season's done in my life, God. 
That's not going to happen for me. We find out later, right, she actually does end up falling pregnant. But here's what, here's what happens with Sarah in between laughing at the hope God has for her life and then living it out. She laughs at God and then she sets Abraham up with her servant. In other words, she's saying, all right, God, maybe you can move, just not through me. Maybe, yeah, you can move in Abraham's life, but you can't use me, God. And how many times have we disqualified or discredited ourselves from actually taking a, 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 a partnership with God or, or, or uh, cooperating with God in his plan for our lives just because we feel like we missed a season? That ship sailed. I've made too many mistakes. You name it, right? We all come up with our own reasons based on the hurt that we've experienced. But if there's anything, anything that we can draw from the story of Abraham and Sarah, it's this. It's never too late for God to start something new in your life. It's never too late. Time is not a reason for God not being able to do something. When God's outside of time, when was that ever a factor? So let me... Last, last, last verse, um, I'm going to give you something that is not mine to give, but it's helped me. It's helped me in my life. And it's a scripture that comes straight out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 to 3. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. There's that word. Write down your hope. For the vision, the hope, is yet for an appointed time. And then catch this. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Okay, let me just repeat that for a second. And we're reading out of the King James, right? So the language is a little bit like, I just want to kick it old school because of how it says this. It says this, wait for the vision. Though it tarries, though it is delayed, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Explain to me how that makes sense. God's saying, though it will tarry, so it will tarry, it will be delayed. I just need to wait for it because it will surely come. It will not be delayed. How is something delayed, but it will not be delayed? God, that doesn't make sense. But how many times have we found ourselves in situations that actually require us to remain hopeful and I'm busy wondering why God's not doing it right now? I'm going, God... I know who you are. You're good. And I know who I am. I'm loved by you. God, I've got my hope. I've got my faith, God. I mean, I'm here on the front row. I'm lifting my hands up. I'm, pray- I'm doing the actions and the whole thing, God. I've got the whole triangle of faith, hope, action, you know, going on. So why, God, is it not happening right now? I'm here, God. Can- can't you see that I'm hurting? But God says, wait for it. Though it will tarry, though it feels delayed, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not be delayed. Because when God brings something into your life, it's done on His timing. And when it happens, it feels like it's not even delayed because it happened at the right time. I'll finish off with this. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3 verse 24. Lamentations 3, verse 24. He says this, The Lord is my portion 
says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Church, can I just submit a thought to you this morning? Sometimes, at the most difficult times, remaining hopeful is as simple as remembering who God is. He's faithful. He's our portion. He's our protector and provider. He's our ever-present help in times of need. Man, how can I have no hope with a God like that who loves me? Would you stand with me this morning, please, church? I don't want to take this lightly because hope is not a light subject. There's a lot of hurt in our lives that can sometimes be attached to hope. So why don't you take the next moment in prayer and worship. And would you just ask God, fresh eyes, God. I need to see you differently. I need to see me differently. I need to see what I'm going through differently, God. Would you give me fresh eyes, Lord? Just like Bartimaeus, restore my sight, Jesus. I want to be able to see you in this. He's got it for you. It's not a myth. It's not a philosophy. God has hope ready for you this morning, we just got to go to him. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.